Hello and welcome to the Ratio Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Ray, and as always, we are coming to you live from Athens, Georgia. And it's a beautiful November day here, so I hope it's beautiful wherever you're listening to this in the world. And I'd like to say welcome. You, you really stopped by at a good time because tonight on the program, we have my good friend and just all-around badass, Adria Stembridge from Tears for the Dying. And uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of things. So we'll have that chat coming up for you in just a little bit. But uh, I hope everybody's doing good out there. I want to give a shout out right out of the gate to our uh, our sound engineer who edits all these podcasts, and that's Mr. Brant Duncan, um, just the backbone of the Ratio podcast, and we just love him to death. Also a super talented musician, and uh, you'll be hearing from him real soon, I'm sure. Well, on the, on the music side, but uh, everybody say hello to Brant and give him a round of applause. But uh, also, I'd like to mention that we have moved all of our live shows for the rest of the year. We're going to start in January of 2024. It's going to be a big, crazy, exciting year for us. And, uh, you know, we, we wanted to do something in November but given all the challenges, we've had some moves within the podcast where people have, you know, moved across town and this way. So there's a lot of stuff we need to get solidified and done that have taken away from the planning side of things. But we're really going to come out of the gate just roaring in 2024. And uh, that date will be announced soon. But I will tell you that the guest is going to be none other than A.M. Rodriguez. And he's going to get us kicked off for the year. Super talented musician, artist, filmmaker, you name it, he does it. And also a good friend of mine, super cool dude. And uh, we're going to have that on the live show coming in January when we will uh, be announcing that very soon. So keep an eye on the socials for that. And um, also wanted to uh, thank everybody for the great response for the Dusty interview from Vision Video. It was uh, just a really huge episode for us, and, and uh, I want to thank all the, all the positive feedback. And um, just seeing them, Vision Video are on tour in Europe now, and it looks like they're having an amazing time, and the shows have been sold out, and it's, it's just so cool to see them really, uh, you know, getting their due and and they they are so amazing and and they're they're just such a good force of artistic musical energy so uh come see go see vision video when they come to your town but um getting to our interview tonight as i mentioned adria is a good friend of mine and uh you know she has a new album coming out with tears for the dying and it's called in the shadow of the midnight sun and uh there's some copies flying around out there i have one and i can tell you it's been on repeat non-stop that it's just such an amazing record you know tears have always been amazing but this really just kind of you know brings it to the next level and i'm just so tickled to death excited and happy for them um and I can't wait for everybody else to hear this. There's so, there's so many favorites on this. I don't want to, we discussed it a good bit in the interview, but I um, don't want to spoil it here. But make sure you go out when this comes out in February and get this record. It's just simply amazing. 
And um, also, if you want to see more Tears for the Dying, they were our guests last year on the live show. So you can find that on the Ratio Podcast YouTube channel. And uh, that's a, there's a live set, and we have an interview. Um, so uh, go check it out and show it to your friends and give us a like and all that good stuff. We just appreciate the support and appreciate being able to bring these amazing artists to you. Um, but Adria, we had a storm here recently, about six months ago in town, and it knocked the power out for, you know, days at my house. And um, Adria was one of the first people to, to get in touch and offer us a place to st stay. And it just shows, you know, what a bad, badass person she is, as well as a badass artist. And, uh, you know, we had discussed doing this interview for a while. She had some things she wanted to discuss, some experiences. And um, it's a beautiful talk. And it's a vulnerable talk. Um, so, you know, enjoy Adria Stembridge from Tears for the Dying. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ratio Podcast. We are here with a, a good friend of mine and someone that I respect uh, artistically, and that is uh, Adria Stembridge. Sorry, I'm like stuttering tonight. Uh, from the Mighty Tears for the dying how are you doing this evening i'm doing very well thank you for asking right on well we're going to discuss their new record in the shadow of the midnight sun and i have been so addicted to this record since i got it this weekend and i've just been listening to it non-stop and i know that sounds you know uh rote or trite but it's the absolute truth and uh, there's so many good songs on this we're going to dive right into this here soon but uh First off, how are you doing this evening, and, and how does it feel to finally have this out? Well, um, I'm doing very well. Um, so we haven't had an official release for the record yet. You've got an advanced promo copy that right. not many people have yet. Um, we're doing a hard release when we get vinyl pressed. Um, we're in that process now. We hope to have the vinyl um, sometime in February. Right. So we'll be doing a, an official record release in February where the whole record will come out. Um, however, over the next few months, we're going to continue dropping singles from the record. So look for that. We've got some videos coming up as well. Right. Now, was this available at the uh, Southern Gothic show this it, past weekend? It was. So there are copies out there, there, there floating around. There are copies floating around on the Internet right now. Right, right. But I feel so special because I've been listening to this. And it is, oh, my God, it is so amazing. And to see the just the growth in your songwriting from uh, onto this record, starting out with We Are the Darkness, you know, what what what's the first piece of this record that that really was it musically or was it something, you know, in your own life that that kicked off the process for this record? Um, sure. So um, the, the record was definitely um, a process of. There's a lot of change and a lot of chaos that went into this record. Um, of course, we have a new lineup as of a couple years ago, and when that lineup got familiar with our existing catalog, we immediately started writing songs. Um, I had brought in a couple of songs I had penned um, prior to this last lineup that we pulled in, but most of everything on this record is brand new in the last couple of years. In fact, a couple of songs in the last couple of months. Um, so uh, there was a lot of... of um, a lot of 
changes that happened throughout the process of writing this record. Um, when we started out um, with this particular lineup, we actually had a, a, a regular bass player um, and a keyboard player. And somewhere along the lines, you know, with you got band players who are driving an hour and a half from Atlanta to Athens to, to, to practice twice a week. You know, that gets old. Um, so we, we gracefully agreed to part ways. And um, we eventually wound up with just myself, Mick, and last year, Joshua. And um, when we went to a three-piece, we implemented inner monitors. Um, and that allowed us to do some some special things with the group that we've never done before, which is to play to click track and to implement some backing tracks live with a live drum kit, um, such as synth bass and synths. And we even have some backing vocal tracks and some backing guitar here and there as well. Um, so there's been a lot of evolution in this release. Um, we've also had to change producers midstream. Um, oh, our wow. producer... We were working with before um, Tom Ashton became very active with his original band, the March Violets. In fact, they're touring Europe. I think they just finished their last date a couple of days ago. Um, so he has been super, super active with the Violets and um, gracefully had to bow out. And um, so we, we had to find another local producer to help um, finish out the record. And we've been friends with uh, the, the folks from Pylon and Pylon Renatment Society for, for a good bit. Um, and I somehow got connected up with Jason Nismith, and he agreed to to have a listen to some songs. And um, we gave him the first song, and we he just like let's see what you can do with this. And here's here's what Tom had, and there's there's our previous releases, and what he gave us back the song Higambana just blew us away. It was so so good, and like he'd never mixed anything like us before, but he just knocked us straight out of the park. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he's so talented, and to see you you coming together with him, mm -hmm. you know that he sounds like you know an objective ear for these songs, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and I, I I just I'm 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 so proud of you guys, and with what do you feel like when you're hearing these songs? Which of these do you feel like uh, you want to play live? Or are you just itching to play live? <laughs> um, they're all super fun to play live. Um, gosh, uh, it's like trying to ask what your favorite child is. <laughs> You've got a whole family of eight kids or whatever, and like, um, and that can change from day to day. Um, gosh, uh, definitely We Are the Darkness, the opening track that we just talked about. Um, that one is probably the most fun to play live. It has so much energy, and, and mixed drumming on that is just, it, it's it's insane to listen to his drums up close and personal on this, and you, you hear a little bit out on the recording, but to, to hear and see it played live is something else entirely. Um, so that's one we, we really enjoy playing. But I'll go with that for now. Well, you know, We Are the Darkness, like I was saying, it's a perfect album opener. It just mm. seems like this just really determined, awesome, you know, piece of music. And the lyrics, you know, like um, burn the Bibles, bathe in the ash, inhale the carbon, lift it to the sky. What are some of the lyrics, since this is like the first song on the record, what are some of the lyrics addressing to you? Or would you rather keep them open-ended? So, Well, I mean, open-ended to a degree, and, and everybody can interpret them in the way they, they see fit. Um, that's That sounds fair to me. Um, the song is, is um, it's, I, I, I love horror movies, and I have I've watched horror movies and read horror books since I was little. And 
in fact, the first horror book I read was this this novel called The Blob um, in sixth grade. And it was about this mysterious um, creature or entity that would literally go through the woods, massive blob of black goo, and would just devour everything. Um, so I, I just, I took to it at an early age. And um, there's a, a good, I, I love cosmic horror. Um, and that's, that's been one of my favorite genres to go to, whether in book or, or film. Um, so the first couple of songs on the record um, really tied heavily into my obsession and with horror. So this particular song, um, it, it's a bit open-ended, and, and like I don't think I can really pin down a specific meaning for everybody on it. Um, but some of the lyrics in it um, with regard to, like, um, you know, I, I grew up in a, 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 a situation where uh, I was forced to go to church, and um, I was forced to believe in God. Um, and I, I had to deny a lot of who I am early on in life. And so with that, over time, there's been this residual resentment toward religion and Christianity. And um, it's just the, the longer I've lived, the more I realize how much of my life I gave to something that I don't believe in. Right. And it really makes me angry. Um, so this artwork, this song, this artwork is an opportunity for me to help purge myself of some of that poison that I've, I've allowed to build up in me. Yeah, yeah. I've We've talked about this a little bit. We came up in similar situations as far as like being involved in the church and kind of denying, you know, it definitely denied me who I was for, for a number of years and, and was very damaging to me. Um, but I... I I feel this record, you know, you go right into an early one that I was really into was Dagger and God's Back. And the lyrics where it's, I'm eating, um, eating the head of God. Mm. I love that. That's so evocative. And, and what does that mean to you? Um, it's nonsense words for me in a sense. Um, like I don't have any like deep philosophical meaning behind it um, other than again. Um, like I've gotten to a point now where my life, I... I think I divorced the idea of God, um, gosh, almost 15 or so years ago. I was I was then going to a a very accepting church in Atlanta called uh, St. Mark. And um, I went there at the pest of my cousins who had a gay daughter, and they were super cool. And I thought, well, okay, sure. Like, I've only ever known, you know, church through my, my family, which has always been kind of towards just—, just kind of right wing and and just not not very accepting of who I am so I thought I'd give this a try and I did I went there for a couple of years and um, I even joined the church choir and would took part in some church performances um and I remember um in the choir loft one Sunday um I was sitting there and I was like just listening to the sermon and just to hear them go on about whatever and and I was like I just started to ask myself what am I doing here I don't believe any of this stuff. Like, why am I really here? And I didn't go back to church the next Sunday, and I haven't stepped back into a church since then. Right. Like, um, apart from having to go to, like, a funeral or whatever for my parents. But, like, um, I just haven't been back. And I won't say that my life has improved a lot. It hasn't. I mean, it's, it's still the same kind as it was before. Um, the world is an awful place to live in um, in a lot of ways. It's a very beautiful place to live in, too. Um, but I find that I, I, don't, I don't believe in it. Mm -hmm. And so this song is, for me, 
owning that. Um, dagger in God's back. Like, you know, like I, I, there, I, the resentment that I, I, I forced myself to be somebody I'm not to my family for like fucking 20 years of my life. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so angry thinking about it right now. Right, right. So, <laughs> well, I can't have that time back. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the painful thing in it is, you know, time is, you know, so precious. And, and, um, it seems like it, you know, when you get older and a little wiser, you know, and, and you feel like some of these things that I wasted my energies on and wasted my tears on, wasted, you know, and I'm not in any way trying to, you know, tell people how to believe, but I know from, from what you're saying, it is one of the most devastating things when you start realizing this is not for me. And um, you've been taught that if this isn't for you, then there's just an, uh, an eternity, eternity of damnation, you know. Um, for me, it was when I was younger and I learned about what the rapture was from my evangelical uh, grandparents. What was it for you that you really started questioning, you know, in an earnest way? Like, what am I, what am I doing here and why am I letting this, this cause so much pain to me? Uh, that, that God created the, the heavens in seven days. When I was a kid going to, to Sunday school and my teachers were, or, you know, the Sunday school teacher was informing us that, you know, of course, on, on such and such day, you know, God created earth. And then, and I, I just questioned that. Like, you know, I, I was, I loved science as a, as a child. Um, I enjoyed reading um, Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov, um, nonfiction works um, by Isaac Asimov as well. And I just, could not wrap my head around it this doesn't explain why the why the cosmos is at as it as it is it's just it doesn't explain that it's a it's it did not seem real to me back then i don't know that it ever did for me i felt like i was always playing along with something that a very very early age I had doubts in now the thing that i think I got over, and I don't know how you feel about this, is I think I have nothing against anybody that's Christian. I have nothing against anyone. 100%. But I, I feel that the the sense of um, we're right and you're wrong, you know, that, that, that when you're thought to think, when you're made to think that everything you're feeling or anything that makes you feel good is wrong, you know, early on there's, I have a problem with that. And, uh, you know, this idea of we're right and you're wrong. And Christians don't have a, you know, monopoly on that. We, we, we know that. But um, how big of a, you mentioned reading. Now, how big of an art, when does music start to enter into this equation? Um, so uh, I did learn a little bit of acoustic guitar when I was a kid. Um, but I really didn't get involved in, in playing music until I was like in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, um, uh, by my early twenties, my, my dad had already walked out of my mom's house, my wife and divorced. And there's a lot of family drama with that. Um, and I was here in town and, and, um, my older, one of my older brothers was going to school here and he was a photographer and he took a lot of photographs back in the 1980s, um, the early mid 80s of a lot of our favorite bands now, Indigo Girls, R.E.M., um, and so on. And so 
he would tell me about these bands and he would hear here's a pylon tape you like here's a tape by fetch and bones and so i i kind of started getting into alternative music where in the past i'd only listened to pop music um and uh so as it as I started listening to more of this, I realized we had a local radio station that played a lot of that kind of music. And so I would tune into to, to 90.5 on the regular. And as I was driving down Atlanta highway, going home one day, the uh, DJs was on the air and they played a little promo song between, between their sets. And that promo song, there was this artist that was just going on about Viva Las Vegas. And I was like, that song had that's so weird and i love it when so i called the the when i got home i called the station up and it says well hey can i ask what that that song is on the promo you just played was and so the guy told me what it was and i made a beeline up the george square mall and bought fresh fruit for rotting vegetables and that opened the door <laughs> that opened the door to punk rock to me where i i never i might have heard about punk rock and like you know, as a kid you know but you never like it was like abstract but that was when I got my first introduction to it. And so I went and started getting anything in the record store that had any kind of punk name or, or like artwork that looked punk. Um, I was all over it. Like I got a little MDC, DI, X, of course the Ramones and Pistols and all that, that older stuff. And I would find myself going to the, the library at UGA and I would check out books on the history of punk. Hell yeah. And I would just read all about it. And uh, they had a... a they had a place where you could go in and watch it, like a media room, elite media library. So I'd go upstairs and watch um, Erga Music War and, and stuff like Suburbia, which is a trash movie now. I'd never watch it again. But like um, back then, it was like really big and very influential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S- from that, um, some friends um, kind of mentioned that they were interested in doing a band. And, and I had started playing guitar at that time. I'd gone to see um, Pylon at the Georgia Theater I guess this is about 1989 or so, maybe 88. I don't remember when they got back the, the third time. Um, and I remember going to that show. It was one of the very show, first shows that I actually started dancing in public. I was so afraid. Um, and just watching them on stage, that was when I knew that I could do that too. And um, so I, I went out and, and bought a bass guitar and eventually got a guitar and, and uh, met with some friends. We started doing a punk band, and that's how I got into music. Well, you were are you, you're so you're self-taught. Did you did you have any family members that were that were into music? Oh, I mean, sure. Like, um, you know, like my older brothers, they they play piano and flute and uh, so on. Um, I I had some relatives that were were pretty big musicians. Um, like we may have talked about last year, um, one of my uncles, um, Jerry Stembridge, um, A.K.A. Chip Young. Um, was fairly well known up in in Nashville and Tennessee. Um, he was a session player for Elvis, and he um, worked with a, a lot of of country um, country western musicians back in the nineteen sixties and seventies. Um, he also co-wrote the music for um, Dolly Parton's Jolene. That the opening guitar lick you hear there is is something my uncle had a hand in. Um, so I had that, and we of course anytime we would hear. Um, you know, Jolene on the radio, we'd always turn it up and listen to it. Um, there was a song by Billy, uh, oh God, um, I Can Help, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, I'm struggling to remember the guy. I can help, sure does me good, I can help. This early 70s song. I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying. On the tip of my tongue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was really big, like in the 70s. I was on the radio a lot, so like we were 
you hear that song up the radio would go. Um, so I, I did have that, but you know, he lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee and we were in Athens, Georgia. So we didn't really get to, to see much of him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I want to mention that you have a excellent cover of Jolene on that closes the record mm-hmm. on this. And, and, you know, how did you approach that song when you're like, what made you want to cover that song? Oh, definitely. Um, like I, I have like, I low key wanted to do Jolene for a long time. Um, but um, I did not want to to cover it verbatim as the way Dolly does it, or in, even in that country genre. And um, like, I, I I love me some Sisters of Mercy and um, Andrew Eldritch is you know pretty cool. Like, but like I certainly did not want to go that direction. It's a kind of a trash cover. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's got a certain aesthetic to it, but we wanted to do something um, a, a little bit different from all that. So. Um, we started working around with it and decided, well, why don't we like do a dark wave-ish country cover of it? And so that, that's kind of what led us down that, that path. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Are you going to, are you going to get a copy to Miss, Do- uh, Miss Parton? Oh, I would to, love to. <laughs> I, I think that would be, I think, um, you two doing a duet of it would be amazing. Oh, <laughs> you know, um, and okay, so this record, there's to me, there's there's a lot of anguish in the first half of it, mm. um, and then you know we get up to uh, heterochromia. Mm. Tell mm. me about that song. So um, that song is again, I this it's less of a like social commentary as it is uh, just I, I I'm autistic, so I I tend to think a lot in in pictures and, and visions and scenes rather than I do in like words. Um, so imagine then that like, you know, like I, I just love Cosm Core and like a couple of books I read in the last year, um, I, I saw the movie um, for Annihilation and I went back and read the book, which is even better. Um, and um, that, that, um, that was hugely influential on kind of some of this song. Um, and basically the song just um it's just again there's not a lot of of wisdom be gotten from the lyrics um it it talks of of this it talks of loss of life life and dealing dealing with existential horrors and the first couple of songs on this record are intentionally that way because we often are I not we I I I have often found myself in states of mental health which have just felt like a nightmare like in that I just can't wake from right and the idea behind these first couple of songs is to kind of set that scene that that you can get so far down in your mental health that just this you wake up and you're like another day of 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 just misery and torment from life and um i want to throw my life in a fire like uh, that that's that's a lyric from heterochromia and it's just it it just describes that that point of almost near bottom where you just like are just ready to chuck just cash in just yeah the dark corner now i i I deal with um, depression and anxiety, and I tell people that the first time 
I had a full-blown panic attack was the first time I felt like my body betrayed me in a way of, oh, my gosh, I'm not in control. You know, I could I could pass out in a crowded mall just from an anxiety attack or something like mm. that. When I look back on it, I can see that I was suffering from depression way early on. When do you see in your own life you becoming cognizant of, of some of the mental issues you were, mental health issues you were dealing with? Sure. Um, that's a good question. So um, it all goes back to childhood and um, I, I grew up, I'm, I'll wrap myself out here. I'm in my fifth decade of existence here on this planet. I somehow managed to survive that long. Yeah, uh, God damn it. Um, I'm going to try and be here to the six at least. Um, uh, I was autistic um, as a child, but undiagnosed. And during the 1970s, when I was in elementary school, uh, the autism was not known. Um, I think the, the word that they used back then was hyperactive. Mm-hmm. And we, did, we didn't even put kids on medications for it back then. Right, and when like Ritalin was like, it was not like how, how now, how, how No, Ritalin started being, you know, given out probably like the late 70s and, and the you know, 80s or whatever. But like, you know, my, my parents didn't have money for that. So. Right. Um, so um, I believe that when I was a child, I was um, definitely, my parents thought I was either gifted or... Um, there's just something with me. Um, it wasn't until I got into high school and um, was evaluated that I was put into special education. And um, I was in there for at least a year, maybe two years. And I would be seen by counselors on the reg. And they didn't know whether I was extremely gifted to the point where I was being, not being challenged with my work or I was severely developmentally delayed. Um, they just didn't know that. I, I would regularly get in, in my, my, my grades, English class, math, I, I, zeros, 15s, 30s, you name it. And one of the, I, I got to, I was lucky enough to find some of my old report cards um, when, my, when my mom passed away um, about 13 years ago and um, reading some of the comments from teachers of how like I used to spend a lot of the time looking out the window instead of paying attention to class. I was just out in my own world. And um, I was definitely uh, picked on a lot in grade school and more so in high school. Um, I was seen as as gay and um, I I got the F word so many times. Um, I got roughed up and picked on and bullied um, quite a lot in high school because I was effeminate. And now this one occasion um, during a, a school field trip of some kind, we got on a bus and went out to look at fuck knows what. On the way out, somebody threw some freshly chewed gum in my hair. And so like it stuck and as I pulled it out, it was just pulling more and more of the hair. And I started having meltdown and um, I was probably crying and which again would just lead into more bullying. Um, One of the kids on the bus thought they would help with getting out their pocket knife and they were cutting it out and it was pulling my hair more than cutting. And um, (laughs) 
this was not an everyday occurrence, but it was a frequent occurrence. Um, I hated school. I wound up dropping out of high school in the 11th grade because I, I couldn't take it anymore. It was just too... The bullying. Too, the, the bullying was terrible. I would have meltdowns at home. Um, we lived in a farmhouse my dad built on the outskirts of Athens, um, big old ranch house. And, um, the basement was never finished out other than there was some drywall hung up in it. And so um, we all lived in the upstairs and never went downstairs almost for anything, except I did. I would go downstairs and I'd have meltdowns. And I would just go downstairs and I would just rage and punch holes in the walls and just destroy the sheetrock. Um, I, I just had uncontrollable fucking meltdowns when I was a kid. And nobody knew why. Like, you know, I just was, I was unbearable. Um, it was because I was, I, was, I was autistic. <laughs> and just exposure to overstimulation um, would, would trigger me off and, and still does to this day. Um, so uh, it was a rough time. And being autistic, being trans, um, and growing up in, you know, then rural, Athens was still kind of somewhat rural, mm -hmm. Georgia, and uh, not being accepted and not being able to make friends because I didn't understand, I still have a hard time with social cues um, of facial expressions. I mean, I may look at you, like right now, but I'm looking at your mouth. Right. <laughs> I find that eye-to-eye -eye contact is super duper intense and I have a really hard time doing it. It just <laughs> overwhelms me. So... <laughs> Um, it's one of my tricks that, that my, my, um, my therapist from when I got diagnosed taught me. So, um, I had a difficult time making friends and also making friends that actually had my best interests at heart. I, I throughout high school, you'd make a friend, I, I would make a friend who would only want to be there just to razz me or to make jokes or make me the butt of their, their group's joke. Um, you know, having that happen again and again was was hard, and again fed into why I just didn't want to go to school at all. Well, now um, I don't mean to interrupt you. Are there any any kind of parental supervision in place that are seeing this and doing anything about it? <laughs> no, this is nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties. You know, bullying was not a topic of discussion amongst parents and school superintendents and supervisors. It wasn't wasn't up for discussion. It was something that was just done to them and they knew it was going to happen and they just turned the other way. Mm -hmm. The one time, um, the one time the bus afterwards, <laughs> we, we, we got back to the, to the schoolyard and we had to walk from the schoolyard to the outdoor building and into the in inside the school. And, and again, this is commonplace. Someone would just sh shove me for no reason. Most of the time I would just like almost fall down the ground and just kind of keep kind of walking away. And this time I was, I was literally just melting down and I turned around. I slapped the first person I saw. I didn't punch this day. I'm 54 years old. I've never, <laughs> I've never thrown a punch in my life and hit anybody in the face. I, I just open face slapped the first person I saw, which happened to be this, this redneck kid. And, um, we rolled around the ground a little bit and they, they sent us to the, the, the principal's office and um, I, I got in trouble for it. Right, right. Well, did you have, before you get into punk rock, do you have anything when you're having these meltdowns that's providing you any kind of solace, any safe place within music? Um, I, meltdowns, like I said, it's a, it's a it's a neurotypical, it's a neurological thing. It's not so much like a mood thing. Um, and that's important to understand that like, um, 
when autistic people have meltdowns, it's usually because of well, you've you've seen you've seen me play here before. Like we're in the we're in the the Sydney Music Hall right now, and um, sometimes the bright lights, if, if they're placed just right, they're right in my eyes. And if I look at that for just a little bit too long, I mean, I'm gonna. I'm going to get super duper anxious to the point of wanting to have a meltdown. So I have to have those lights rotated around away from me. So like mm-hmm. uh, with the meltdowns happen, there's music really, there's not a lot there that music can do to help out. Um, re- the best thing for us is going to be to remove ourselves from the stressful environment. Mm-hmm. Or when we start sensing that we're feeling overwhelmed, whether that be through a, a light source, a sound source or an emotional source that we pull away from that and count to 10 and that's the biggest thing that can help out um as far as music helping out in general in life most definitely um the depression came from just not being able to connect to people and wanting those connections and not being able to and and having literally like you know 30 40 40 years of of those continual missed opportunities and and misconnections for that friendship that we all want and um from that leads to depression and it was in my mid to late 20s that i discovered goth music and um i i started finding a whole scene of people who sung about depression which is basically the mirror image of punk and why I got into punk was to get a lot of that anger I had, that, those, those awful meltdowns I was having when I was a kid. When I got into punk rock, here was I could play on 12, just nasty distortion and, and just yell and scream and be with other people that yelled and scream. We could literally like get in front of a band and just slam our bodies in each other as hard as we could. And it was okay. And it made us feel better. So here now, then, goth is literally tackling the same thing, but depression is just anger towards turned inwards. And so I I found a whole scene of musicians and and people who who understood what I felt beyond just being angry about it, but also the sadness of, of not being able to make those connections, not being able to have those friendships and the successes in life that we see our peers having. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, having a place, having a group of people that are into the same kind of music and discovering that goth is such a fun genre and there's so many facets of it. What was it? Was it the music or is it more of the scene that was attracting? <laughs> um, uh, sure. Like um, the very first, so one of my bandmates in my first punk band invited me over. He's a record collector. And, um, at this time, this is like about 1995 or so. Um, I started writing songs for the punk band, which were not exactly punk. And then my, my bandmate says, this sounds a lot like boohoo's. And I'm like, who's boohoo's? I heard it from like, you know, like Bauhaus, like, you know, like, and so he's like, you need to come over. We need to do record night. Like, so, um, we, went over and he pulled out three or four records got a big old bottle of wine and he put on plasmatics um and I, I believe it's the one with uh the swimming pool uh 
New Hope for the Wretched. Yes. Yeah. So um, we listened to a bit of that, and he showed me some. He had some VHS tapes of the Plasmatics, and I'm like, "Whoa, that's that's totally like I'm really into it." And I hadn't come out to anybody yet. Nobody knew um, about who I was inside, but I I was like, "Richie Stott's like, all right, there's some like wearing like cool stuff on stage. I'm really into it." So then we listened to Forty Five Grave, and I'm like this is so fucking cool. And I saw the pictures of all the makeup and the vampire and all that look and all the hat. And I was like really, really into it. And black cross, the single that they put out, he played that for me. And I was like, this is so fucking cool. Like it was, it, it felt like prog music, but punk. It was just, it was so deep. And finally he pulled out a record. It was a black sleeve with gold, gold letters on it, he put it on and started playing it. And I wasn't sure the singer I was listening to, whether it was a man or woman. And I fucking loved that. It was Only Theater of Pain by Christian Death. Christian Death yeah. And I, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to listen to. Oh, I was, that, that record changed my life. Right. Now, how does all this involvement with everything, how, are your fa- how is your family reacting to you throughout this this change when you've discovered punk rock and then goth um so like gosh um i did, i was still very much kind of private about a lot of this like i might have black nails on when i come home to my mom i was still with mom for a, a while and um she and i didn't just didn't talk about it um going back to when I was a teenager, you know, I would find like clothes that were being thrown out, like girls clothes that were being thrown out and I would like take them and my mom would find them in my room later and she would take them and throw them away again. And this happened over and over again. <laughs> and finally one day it was just so awkward cause my mom was so ashamed about talking about gender or sex or anything like that. Like she's just so proper. And one day she let the Bible out. She had it opened up to Deuteronomy. And she had a little, like, yellow highlighter with Deuteronomy 22-5. You know, thou shalt not wear the clothes and who, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I had learned to be ashamed of who I was at a very early age. Dagger in God's back. Yeah. I learned to be ashamed of who I was because of that. And I'm angry about that. <laughs> um, so, basically, my parents just didn't talk to me about it. My dad had, like, he moved off. He wasn't around in the picture, but my older brothers were around. Some, and we just didn't talk about it. Um, so, it wasn't until, like, I guess, like, the, the 1996, 97, um, I had stopped doing the punk band, and I'd started in a pop band in town, um, by God, you know, if we, if we, <laughs> if we were in New York city at the, doing the same project in New York city in like 1997, we were, we were called the girl pool, not girl pool, but the girl pool, um, we're doing indie pop you know, with like the really lo-fi keyboards and all that. And, and very dark tone on the bass. And, um, it was, we would, we would, we would kind of caught on a bit, but, uh, so during that band is when I had discovered the internet around that time and, we used to go up to the public library and get onto what they called Usenet. Um, NNTP was a protocol. You could go on and they were like basically news groups, um, like little forums. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or you think of them as subreddits or whatever. But like um, you could go on there and like, they, like I went and I found you know, 
alt.crossdressing um, or alt.transgender. And you could go on there and read messages. It was all toxic, just like, you know, Reddit is toxic today. It was the same way back then. Um, but through that, I discovered a community of people like myself. And, you know, you read, you know, once once the Internet started growing a little bit, you had GeoCities and I could go on and and discover like um, other people that were like me and like the club kids scene back in the like 1990s where the kids wore all the makeup and all that. It was very gender ambiguous. I really, really was into that at the time. So um, with with the girl pool, it's when I started dressing femme publicly. And um, I remember the reactions of my bandmates at the time of being, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm wearing a wig and I'm wearing makeup. <laughs> I'm wearing clothes that look awesome. Like, I don't know, um, what's it to you? <laughs> um, and within goth culture, there was a lot more acceptance of gender ambigu- ambiguity, which it, to me at the time was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really embraced that side of the, the fashion of goth because I, I, I knew that I could go get in a car and drive to Nocturne in Atlanta and go to goth night there. I would not, nobody would give me any grief about how I looked. Goth was refuge to me back then. Um, and I, I, I didn't really have the opportunity. I, I remember a few times I would like dress them out in public and I would be, be so afraid that somebody would, would like see me and say something. Right. And you know, I'm I'm tall. I'm like super tall, so I didn't want to stand out anyway. But like, I was just terrified. And it, it, you know, therapy. Ther- when I was you know going to therapy back then, and was figuring out who I was and all this, and, and and reading the news groups, that like you you kind of the, the prevailing thought back then is you just didn't want to be clocked in public. You like you weren't supposed to hang out with another trans person in public because your chances of getting clocked which is a hugely, hugely problematic term that you would get clocked. And, and back in the nineties, you, you know, there was the, the threat of violence was still there. So, um, there again, you know, any chance I had to go to a club, whether that be performing in a band or but going to goth night or going to a goth club or seeing bands play, um, I was all over it. It, it was a very pivotal time in my life and helped me express who I was. Um, I went through a phase of identifying as asexual and androgynous. Um, we didn't have words like non-binary back in the 1990s. If we did, I would have identified as non-binary and used they them pronouns. Um, so I, I, in time, through therapy, um, began to, to identify as a trans woman, and um, that took me down a path I eventually you know, transitioned and, um, I've had just about every surgery that you possibly want to have. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, so, so now that, that, that you're performing and you're making music, what has been the reaction now with your family that, that with your brothers? Um, I've pretty much like, don't really talk to my brothers much. Um, our father passed away in 2018, and um, he literally probably passed away sometime before that in our eyes. He had dementia, mm-hmm. 
and by 2016 or so we we had to put him in a, a retirement home and uh, that that is that is a f- fucked up fucked up disease um right. it is so fucking horrible um you know like e- even up until like the 2014s you know I, would, I i didn't know my dad like other than when i was a kid and um I remember my dad I used to enjoy working in the garden with him and, 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 you know, hoeing the weeds with him. But also, <laughs> also remember, he would have fucking colossal meltdowns. He would, so he would get frustrated and he would throw shit and like wrenches and tools and stuff. And like, oh, this is genetic. Right. <laughs> autism right. is genetic. Um, my dad probably had autism too, but he just didn't. Uh, so, uh, um, My dad passed away um, in 19 from dementia um, in 2015 or, or 2016 or so. We put him into a home, and that that day when I drove home, it was down in Milledgeville. When I drove home from Milledgeville, I cried for two hours on the way home, just like bawling. I don't know how someone can cry that long, but I did it. And um, from then, it was just a matter of it was a waiting game until finally he did die and I, I never again thanks Christianity I never got an opportunity to be myself or my father or my mother I tried with both I, I tried with my mom my dad um, no I just never got an opportunity to my dad was probably the more liberal than my my rest of my family was to a degree but he was still very southern like and um, probably would not have taken well to it um, when he passed away, um, we just, my brothers and I, we just lost contact. I mean, we, st- I'm still on an email chain with them. They still send me updates of what's going on. Um, this past year, I even attempted to try and, and dialogue with them a little bit back. Nothing heavy, just like, just, hey, you know, and, and, and right around the time of my birthday, one of my older brothers decided to send me an email and made sure to use the dead name and, and just the wrong pronouns just really doubling down on it i'm like you know what i don't need this i don't need you and i just i'm 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 good if we never see or talk to each other again yeah and it pain pains me to say that about your own flesh and blood but part of being autistic is learning to set boundaries and communicate those boundaries and Boundaries are healthy. If we set good boundaries for ourselves, then it will lead us to better mental health. And so one of my boundaries is I don't, I'm not going to be around someone who can't respect who I am today and use my name. Absolutely. So that, that's where, that's where it left off with them. Um, I, I don't, <laughs> as I sit here and talk to you on this podcast, um, I don't know whether I'm, I'm ever going to even know when my brothers die or not. Right. I have family like that, too, and for, you know, similar reasons, we don't talk. You know, they don't accept me for who I am. And uh, much like you, I, 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 why am I wasting my tears and my anguish and clogging up my arteries worrying about this shit when it basically comes down to very simple, very simple things. You do not accept me for who I am. What you believe seems to codify hate against, you know, much of what I am and much of what you are. And that, to me, is a, is a very devastatingly sad thing. And it's kept people apart for, for eons. 
Um, now, given that you you have this, you're getting you got into the music, and you have this really awesome following now, and you have this this fan base. Um, how does that feel to have this chosen family that that does accept you for who you are, and how is that? How do you how do you um, how are things now with that, as far as like having support and having do you get that from from your fans and your friends now as you go through some of the challenges you go through sure um it's i i wouldn't be talking to you right now if it weren't for music and this band um i think i've i've just probably would have checked out before um music is therapy to me um and i am I'm grateful that I'm grateful that people like what we're doing to the point that we've gotten as far as we have. And we played a show in Atlanta. Um, I just feel so, this is so dumb. This is really dumb. I, we, play, we played a show in Atlanta earlier this year in the masquerade. It was sold out and uh, with vision video and then come silence. And we were the opening act. And so we got on and, and played our set. And I happened to look up during one of the songs. And people were singing the words. <laughs> I almost had to stop singing for a second because it just like, it just floored me like, whoa. Um, and then to have people come up afterwards and like want your picture and like, hey, can you sign this? Can you do this? And like, I'm just, <laughs> it's flooring. It's just floored me. And it still does when it happens today. When you ask for someone to come up and say, hey, can I get your picture? Can I get your autograph? Like, I'm like, dude, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just like you. I'm just like another girl in this world just trying to get by. Like, I'm just, um, but I also know what, what, a, what f fans of, friends or fans have told me is that like it's I've been I'm I'm kind of been around doing this for a hot minute and um I've gotten pretty far in life and I think it, it's a source of encouragement to trans and queer youth to to see people like me on stage performing and surviving and thriving absolutely I think it's important for them to have that to look towards and know that there's a future for them. Yeah. Now that's a heavy burden too. How do you feel being this 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 role model for? I mean, it's like what I just said. I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I I struggle. I still have meltdowns. Um, I still struggle to keep and keep those deep friendships that I want. I I still struggle with that. I've come up short this year in the in that category with some friends of mine. We all do. Um, we all do. Um, and given given the years that you've had, do you feel that you are getting to where you can? And we can take a minute. I'm good. Do you feel you're getting to where you're expressing yourself? better and better each time out um for sure um <laughs> sorry 
it's getting more comfortable in my skin. Yeah. Um, getting to know who I am. Um, and it doesn't ever stop when you're 17 or you're 25 years old. Like, oh yeah, I just need to figure out who I am. And I'm, I'm going to figure that out when I turn 24, when I turn 29, 30 years old, I'll know who I am. No, you won't. You won't know who you are because you're going to continue to grow and change your entire fucking life. And you're going to learn things about yourself that you didn't know before. And people are going to have impacts you for impacts on you for better or worse. And just surrounding yourself with people who genuinely love you and care about you and are going to be by your side, even at your worst, at your best, they're going to be by your side. Keep those people in your life at all costs. Nah, not at all costs, but like just keep them close by. Um, it, 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 it's just a, it's getting comfortable in my skin. And as we get to play more and more shows, um, there's a joy I have in living and waking up every morning and going out and walking around the yard and seeing the sun come up and the dew on the grass. I have to get up early for my job, um, and seeing the flowers, um, and smelling the fall air, the, the decaying leaves on the ground. I, there's so much beauty in this world. We talk about this whole record, the first half of this record, is gets in some really, really heavy stuff. But there is so much out there to experience and love and enjoy in this world. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the second half of it, I really feel like, you know, talking about dead girl dancing and kaiju... Um, and I want to talk, you know, Dead Girl Dancing is just just such a joyous, I, I think I was telling you earlier, this is like something I could hear on the radio, you know, it's just, it's it's such a great song, and one thing I want to address with Kaiju, how did you, uh, where did your interest in Japanese culture begin? Uh, um, <laughs> so, um, I think I first my first exposure to Japanese culture was back in the 2000s and um at one of my earlier jobs in IT we'd have a lot of downtime and we played a lot of video games during our job between tech support calls um like Half-Life and Counter-Strike and we would also send each other fun videos to look at and um someone sent me some videos of Arnold Schwarzenegger doing commercials for a, a drink in Japan and I wasn't a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. I mean, but those commercials were so weird and quirky that I just, I just, what on earth am I looking at? And is, you know, you know, being trans, um, I also learned of some bands in Japan that uh, visual Kai bands who J Japan has a little different relationship with the idea of trans genderism as maybe we have here in the states it's changing um but there is a, a you know a segment of of japan the visual kai in the early 2000s is a good example of this with artists like Duran gray malice miser um whose guitar player was named mana and if you saw mana on stage you would just think it was just another girl but it was it was a guy at the time identified as a guy i think now they used they didn't pronounce and I, I was infatuated by Duran Gray 
and Miles Miser, and I got a lot of the records and listened to that. And from that, I also learned about um, fashion movements in Japan back then, such as the elegant Gothic Lolita fashion movement. So um, basically big poofy dresses, um, all black, lots of lace. Um, and I was really, really enthralled, enthralled with that aesthetic. I was really tall, and so like I, I, I kind of wanted to do that here in the states. And there were little groups at the time you could do it in, but that the two thousands weren't particularly, especially the early two thousands weren't particularly welcoming to trans people. Um, so I, I kind of discovered that I, the groups that I maybe wanted to try EGL with, I just don't think that I would have been accepted in. Right. Um, part of that is because um, there's a. And there still is. Japan is not a very sexually promiscuous country as we are here. We're not. It, it is, but like it's not nearly as open. And there's a rejection of 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 um, hentai, uh, perverted thoughts and perverted people. So if you if you are associated with that in any way, you're not probably going to be part of that scene. And trans people were considered to be basically perverts for a long time. And so that that was kind of why I just I kind of when I had that interaction and I kind of backed away from that for a while, but I took from that the appreciation of of you know like visual kai music, and sometime later in the twenty early twenty tens the the tsunami happened to Japan, and I remember watching that um, like pretty much as it was happening as a lot of us were that day. Um, and um, shortly there, uh, shortly after, some months after that happened, a uh, Japanese artist by the name of Kari Pami Pami uh, released a song called Pon Pon Pon, and um, the video for it is just completely bonkers. It's very kawaii, very cute, um, and it's also very weird, and um, she wrote that song for Japan to help them like get past the, the trauma of seeing their their cities and their loved ones be washed away mm-hmm. and um that song rekindled my interest in japanese music and culture so fast forward to the 2020s here so i i had a pretty tough um tw- we we all did i say i we we all had a really tough time in the 2020 2021 area with covid i i just haven't talked to anybody who had a really fun time during that yeah period. i have <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, part of my strategy and, and dealing with some of my own traumas that I was facing with that time, um, was to start learning to speak Japanese. And, um, I found that I needed, I needed something to focus my attention on other than the hurt I was feeling from events in life. And um, w- one technique that I've in therapy that I've been introduced to is DBT, um, I, DBT therapy, and it's, it's used a lot of dis- different disorders, um, such as borderline personality disorder and autism. The two are often confused for the other, um, but it's the idea of when you start to feel anxious and you start to feel a meltdown coming on, is to like divert that that energy into something else. So, like, go get up and brush your teeth or go for a jog or walk outside in the cold air and just breathe it in and, like, just physically change your environment. So, um, in order to kind of keep my mind off of 
some trauma I was dealing with back then, um, I started to learn Japanese. I, I got different apps on the phone and I would spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day going through learning. And I started watching, of course, I'd watched anime for a while, um, but I started watching Japanese dramas. And, um, which gave me even more exposure and more immersion into the language. So, um, yeah, um, I, I can say that today I, I can speak like I, I'm not a fluent speaker, and um, I, I hope by the I hope I can eventually get to the point where I can get my N5 test passed. Uh, N5 is a very entry level um, Japan proficiency test that they give you if you ever wanted to go work in Japan. Um, it's a very very difficult language to learn. Um, you have three different alphabets. You have kanji, um, which are shared by Chinese. Um, you have katakana, which are characters and um, that use words borrowed from other languages. And you have hiragana, which are native Japanese characters. And Japanese people learn these characters at a very early age. And so it, it takes it takes constant reinforcement, constant listening to and speaking it back to really solidify the language. And so as someone who spends all of her day talking English and reading English and working English, it's very difficult to learn. But it's it's not really, uh, it's not a, a race, it's a marathon for me. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, and you're singing mm, in Japanese. Y- so. y- yeah, we have, we have two songs on the record that are sung in Japanese. Um, uh, one of the songs is Ikinokota, um, which that word translates to I survived in Japanese. And that song is a testament to experiencing our worst mental health crises, our worst mental health hell, somehow working through that, coming out to the other side and growing to become a better person and starting to see the beauty in the world. Because I think that's in, in a important part of overcoming mental health like crises is like of course speaking your truth and in therapy and group or in art speaking your truth but also accepting that the world is more than just dark the sun comes up every morning absolutely yeah, and it, it, that can be the most difficult thing to look at the positives in life. Mm-hmm. And I, I go to that song, you know, where where you're. I believe it's in um, what you where you're talking about. You know, the sun is out. The you know, I am happy. You That's know, right. It's very mm-hmm. declarative. You know, and very beautiful. Um, and I think this record, like I was saying, you know, the first half. In order to get to the beauty of the second half, you've got those super gnarly parts in the in the first half, which you know uh, works so great. Well, can can we talk before we go into the other? Can we can we talk about bloat? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> bloat, bloat has been a, a, a song. I wrote bloat gosh, about four years ago, <laughs> and it's it's a it's a cool story. I, I really would like to do a a, a proper video for it. Um, Again, we're in the first half of this record, um, which first introduces this existential dread, this cosmic horror, this this terrible mental state that you're in. Um, heterochromia, the passing over, Jishi, um, is that final that final act. 
Bloat is a song about a trans girl who was bullied relentlessly in grade school and high school and content warning, trigger warning takes her life. She she takes her life by, by hanging. And so the story is of the song that uh, first responder comes in, somebody senses something, smells something, really doesn't like them. They, they send a first responder in to investigate. <coughs> they kick the door down. And then comes this first responder and sees this person. This is bloated corpse hanging from a rope. And it's the first responder is one of the bullies that bullied this person into committing suicide. And the corpse senses who that is. And it comes back to life to make things right. And the song in graphic detail explains what happens. Right, right. It's one of my favorites on the album. <laughs> um, and it is, you know, the record is heavy. But I think in a, in a, in a great way. Um, with where do you see... What is the basically the album cycle you have planned for this record when it comes out in February? What are your plans? Are you wanting to tour? Mm. Are you wanting to just, what do you see the next phase of the band where that's going? Sure. Um, so we um, 100% are pressing vinyl. Um, we've already got that process underway, our, our, our pressing plates. I've already forgotten all the, the jargon <laughs> from from the local pressing plant. We're using classic sitting vinyl here in, in Athens, Georgia. Um, and um, so we're, we've got that process underway. Um, we are planning to go on tour in February and also in March um, with the March Violets. Um, so we'll be going, um, starting out a little leg in Florida um, with the Violets and our friends Vision Video. Um, and then we're going to, they're going to go Florida and they're going to go out West Coast. And um, we're not able to take that much time off from our job. So um, we're going we're gonna to let them go West Coast. When they come back to the East Coast up in Michigan, we're going to pick back up up there and come. Uh, I think we're going up into Canada for a couple of dates and then coming down the East Coast. Um, so we'll be out almost a total of almost three weeks. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Any plans to get over to Europe or uh I would love to get to Europe one hundred percent. Yes, yeah. So we'll have to see how the record does. Um I mean there's there's been some good good reactions to it so far. Um it's I know we haven't talked a ton about the, the second half of the record. Um it's definitely a lot a lot more accessible musically and lyrically, I think, in, in some ways. Um um we're going to continue dropping singles out and just see how it goes. Hope I, I, this this is by far the best music I've I think I've ever been associated with. It's uh, we've we've listened to it through a few times and it just the song order it just it's it's I don't know I love it I it's, love it too. I'm it's super it's proud. Th of it. I was just going to mention the the sequence. It's sequenced perfect and it really has a a cinematic. It's it's a fucking record. It's amazing. And to hear your back catalog, which you know I'm a huge fan of, just to hear the progression on how you're just honing this 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 beast. I, I love it. 
Well, I, I, you know, this record is, is not, you know, I'm, I'm here by myself. We're, we're talking a little more. We're going deep cuts into Adria's life here. But, like, my bandmates aren't here with me tonight. But this record would not be possible without them. Um, and um, as I mentioned before, Josh was our bandmate um, for the better part of these past two years. And um, he is one of the, the musicians who worked with us. He lives in Atlanta. And, and um, bless his heart, he, he made that hour commute twice a week, sometimes three times a week, um, for, for the better part of a year and a half. And, um, we, we parted on, on, on amicable terms and we're still good friends with him today. Um, we brought in, uh, a friend of, of mine, um, who I've known online for, a, a, like, gosh, almost uh, six or seven years now, uh, Robin Cronister from Michigan. Um, I asked, you know, she's, done some side projects and I've listened to her music and she's a great musician and I asked her if she'd be potentially interested in and in, uh, coming down and play guitar and she was and uh, one thing led to another and she uh, she came down in April uh, the night she came down was uh, the night that there there's a, a lot of stormy weather back then but this one particular night there was just this line after line of tornadoes passing through the, the you know that alley between Michigan and, and Georgia and she had never driven out of the state before. She's never been out of her home state. And she had a U-Haul trailer towing her car through tornadoes. Oh, my goodness. She drove down here in that. And she got down here. And um, tell you what, she has, she has worked her ass off um, uh, to, to get like in the this, she has just worked so hard she got down here um legit she she's like oh yeah i know i know five songs of yours really well and so we got in here to play the practice first time and she unfortunately she didn't know the song. she didn't know the songs that well so um, but like bless her heart she is she has worked her butt off and um she's been like a dry sponge and receptive towards uh just just you know Mick and I both teaching her, you know, some skills and guitar and, um, she's, she's fit into the band just perfectly. And uh, so, but she, she's on, um, she's on a, a couple of tracks or I think one, one of the tracks here in this record. Um, I think, uh, Nadi Takanai, um, I guess I listed here. I don't want to, but like, yeah. Um, and, uh, Josh, however, like Josh is on on multiple tracks on mo- about half this record, and like um, he he is he is what he was just a complete joy to work with. Um, very very creative dude, um, and he, he'd never I don't, he'd never done this genre before, and so when he came into it, he I don't like he kind of took a minute to get his bearings and well, what kind of effects do I need and how what kind of tack do I have to have on this, but he he dialed it up pretty quick. And um, the guitar work, for example, the guitar work on Hikantana is just fucking amazing. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. The swells, uh, the, 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 the licks he does on Jolene are just, just mm, so good. Yeah. Um, and, and Mick, um, who is not here, <laughs> um, Mick has also brought an energy to this album. This album would not be what it was if, if any four of us weren't on it um mick has brought an intensity to these songs right that i don't think we we definitely would not have gotten had we just been using program drums like um um mick can talk to you about the technical details of 
the odd time signatures that he, and there's a lot of odd time time signatures on this record, um, a lot, <laughs> but oh, yeah. you you don't hear it. I don't hear it as much. Like it's not like you listen to math rock and you're like, uh, <laughs> I love. <laughs> um, math rock is is pretty dope, but it's it's it can also be kind of hard to listen to a little bit for a oh, long yeah. long period of time. Um, this is pretty smooth, and that's just a testament to to mix creativity on drums and um, and and not just drums. He's he he's an outstanding songwriter in and of himself, and um, he's brought some really interesting extra bits and and ideas to the record as well. So super sweet dude too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And uh, um, what you know, we've we've had them. We've had your band on when we did the live thing, but what I'm sure. Uh, we'll have Mick on again mm, uh, on the on the podcast proper, but we're about out of time. What what would you like to get across to your listeners? And 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 if you could, where's the best place for your listeners to get for our listeners to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, well, like uh, so the best way to reach us, we're probably most active on Instagram. Um, so it's Instagram slash Tears for the Dying Band. And we have a Facebook presence, but um, we don't, I'm not, don't post as much to there. Um, As far as where to find our music, um, easiest place is going to be to dial us up on Spotify um, um, or iTunes if you prefer that platform. Um, If you'd like to support us monetarily, (laughs) um, please, please do play us on Spotify and add us to your playlist if if you like the tunes, and we hope you do. Um, You can also go to Bandcamp. Um, and just search for Tears for the Dying Bandcamp on Google, and it'll come right right to our page. We have um, our entire back catalog there. We have Caron Memories Epitaph. We have um, a whole plethora of T-shirts and, and back patches, and um, I think we might even have some cassettes of of our our 2020 release memories there as well. Um, love yourself. Um, this life goes by a lot faster than you ever will imagine it will. Um, Find out who you are. Love yourself. Surround yourself with people that love you. And push yourself to be better. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and and sharing your story tonight and sharing this wonderful art with us. And uh, make sure you go out when this is out in February and get get it on vinyl get a physical copy of this and it's in the shadow of the midnight sun thank you for being with us tonight adrian i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me on right on mm. i want to thank adria stembridge for coming on the ratio podcast again and and having you know such a cool talk with us um make sure you check out in the shadow of the midnight sun when it comes out in February and make sure you see tears for the dying on the road when they come to your town. Adria is such a badass rock star in the best sense of the word. And, um, you know, I can't be more happy for their success. So, uh, make sure you, uh, follow them and, and go see them live. And that's our show for this evening. If you want to get in touch with us, head to our Instagram or Facebook pages. And you can also find all of your uh, ways to contact us at our website at www.ratiopodcast.com. And you can also add us on YouTube 
Just type in the Ratio Podcast, and there's our channel. So uh, until we talk to you next, stay switched on, and we'll talk to you soon.